It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Episode 84. Wow, I'm going to be talking about Terry Fox today, but um, I have been listening to Back to the Prairie Oh, by Melissa Gilbert. I, you know what? I saw her book. Okay. Is that her memoir? Yes, yeah, it's her new book. Yes, oh, it's her new okay. book. Oh, okay. I so saw that. I've been listening yeah. to it. So far, it, I love it. It's yeah. just very cute, but a lot, most of it's related to COVID and, right. and lockdown and whatnot. But so far, honestly, my favorite part is her husband's forward and just saying oh. that he loves that she's let go of the Botox and she has movement in her face and just that he genuinely, it, he clearly loves her and oh. he's happy that she's yeah. embracing her authenticity rather than trying to keep up with, you know, Hollywood or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's cool. it's a really, it's, it's a fun, fun oh. book. Yeah. Yeah, I was out at the beach this weekend with my fam. It was good Aww. to be. It was good. We did. A, I did a lot of weeding, mm. and then we. Did, but we played a lot of games. Yeah. So that's good. It's fun to play games. Yeah. And hang out. Family time. Enjoy the Family time. Cause exactly. Got another one leaving the nest. Mm. Leaving. Leaving the nest. Yeah. So. I know you can relate to this, Teresa. When hubby texts you ideas, <laughs> and you don't look at them for a while. Yeah. So Ryan has been sending me this video a couple of times that he thinks I should do this. It's called... So the time has come. It's come. We're doing it. It's called Just Add Water, A Surfing Savant's Journey with Asperger's. He also has a book out. I was really blown away when I finally watched the video. I mean, it's spectacular. You know, I like watching surfing. I don't surf. I like to... I'm an armchair enthusiast and we we've chatted about bethany hamilton in episode Mm -hmm. eight and chris moore in episode 38 um so but this video it's about 12 years old and it's about this amazing surfer clay marzo and it's really sweet his mom narrates parts of it Um, and she talks about like when he was a baby how she would sue then they have you know footage of like a video of him like she She's soothing him in the bathtub, and he falls asleep in her arms in the tub. So talk about a water baby, you know. He walked at seven months. He was put on a surfboard by one. Wow. He's an amazing, he's really an amazing athlete. Clay was a state championship swimmer and was on a swim team at 10. And then he traded his uh, Speedo for surf trunks. And guess where he grew up? Lahaina, Maui, of course, the surfing mecca. Nice. And there's this old footage of him, and he's about seven. He says, hi, I'm Clay Marzo. I'm going out surfing Dawn Patrol, which anybody that knows surfing, is like you get up early, that early surf, but it's pretty cute. By 15, he was just a surfing phenomenon. I mean, already surfing the tour circuit, competing, and then he was diagnosed with Asperger's. And it was kind of a relief because, you know, his family didn't know there's things that social cues he was having trouble with but asperger's is a developmental disorder affecting the ability to effectively socialize and communicate and his mom said she felt a sense of relief 
She had a better understanding of her son after the and diagnosis. And handle it. Yeah. yeah. Growing up, he had trouble sitting still in school, even, you know, understanding what he was reading. But he literally transforms into this unbelievable surfer once he hits the water. And I seriously can't describe his surfing. And some say he's double-jointed. Hmm. He's just, and he's just so tight and fluid. But, so I'm going to read this from his book because it is just, it kind of describes him the best way. A set of 12 to 15 foot behemoths, which is waves, approaches. Clay paddles into position. He notices a bump in the wave, a subtle shift beyond sensory range of most humans. He wheels his board around and strokes to a point where he's almost predetermined and anticipated through knowledge and intuition. These deep, powerful strokes from being a champion swimmer, his instincts are beyond that. When a wave emerges and jacks up to a full two-story height, Clay sits in a perfect position. He sticks a GoPro camera in his mouth and paddles hard and easily catches this wave and looks down. In his mouth, in his right foot forward, the direction in which, you know, he faces the wave. It's just Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty amazing. And it's funny, he likes to, like, replay his own footage, Mm -hmm. like, 30 times. It's part of that, that, his mindset. But his liquid healing, really, that's what it is, has definitely earned his respect of fellow surfers. Dealing, you know, he was top of his game, but dealing with the media and interviews Mm -hmm. was so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, he would find himself with headaches and nausea. So after a few years of competing, it became too much. So now he just surfs for the pure joy nice. of it. But That's um, how it should be. It, it should be. And he, so he's now, he's still a sponsored athlete. Plenty of awesome videos. He's just really incredible. He's what, you know, 32 now. But Clay volunteers at Surfing Surfers Healing. It's a nonprofit that teaches children with autism to surf. It was founded by Israel and Danielle Pazakowitz, for the benefit of their son, Isaiah, who was diagnosed at three with autism. So I just, you know, I love, there's no charge for these camps. And Clay's, you know, hope for the video and his book is just to bring awareness mm-hmm. to autism. So I just. And get it, them out in the community. Yeah. The, yeah. Doing what they love. Exactly. To find what they love. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I've wanted to read this Terry Fox book's book for years and the podcast gave me a good excuse with certain subjects i have to be in the right type of mood right this was one of those stories i knew the outcome so i wanted to be properly prepared i cry at certain (laughs) commercials yeah i cried at the movie kicking and screaming which my kids give me a hard time but it's just like an emotional curse or something my kids get a kick out of it but me not so much I knew that he... You had, feel. I mean, do. it's good. Yes. It's good. Yes. But maybe a little too much sometimes. I already... I knew that this guy had lost his leg to cancer and that he decided to run on a clunky prosthetic across Canada. And I knew that the cancer would ultimately take his life way too oh, soon. Right. Oh. So I was well aware that it would be a hard story to read, but I decided it was finally time to learn about this Canadian kid who did so much to push cancer research He let people see the reality of cancer, broke through barriers for those with disabilities, and did it all with youthful optimism that was very contagious at the time. Terry planned to run across Canada to raise money for the Canadian Cancer Research Institute, and while he had only made it two-thirds of the way before he had to stop, people have picked up where he left off that day in September in 1980. 
I think that grit and determination that this kid had actually came from his mom. I read she grew up a tomboy and she spoke her mind, which I love. When she was in labor and she couldn't find anyone to take her to the hospital, she walked there. Oh, my goodness. Labor pains and all. Oh, my goodness. So she yeah. was a top cookie. Yeah, totally. She worked in a card shop and her, his father was a railway switchman. His father was described as uh, reticent. So it makes sense that Betty would travel and give talks to continue the fundraising while Raleigh, the husband, stayed back to work after Terry was gone. Aww. Terry had tenacity in his makeup. When he was in the eighth grade, he wanted to play basketball. He and his friend Doug tried out. Both guys were introverts and only five feet tall. They were crazy about basketball, but not necessarily skilled. After a few practices, the coach told Terry that he might be better suited for wrestling. Kind of reminds me of my ballet teacher telling my mom not to waste her money on my ballet lessons. That I should probably pick another sport, but... Terry ignored the suggestion and decided to put his heart and soul into the game. He didn't care if he was number 19 on a team of 19. He just wanted to play. Lucky for him, the coach didn't make any cuts. But the coach was very clear that the more talented players would see the majority of the playing time on the court. His teammates laughed at him, which I think is totally cruel, but he was all right with that. He just wanted to play the game. By ninth grade, Coach McGill suggested he dedicate more time to practice if he really wanted to get playing time. Terry took it to heart, even though his mom wasn't happy with him heading out the door early to practice before school. By 10th grade, he had grown to five foot six and had earned a spot as a starting guard. Oh. Yeah, so he's improving. When he moved to high school, he again earned a starting position. In 12th grade, he and Doug shared Athlete of the Year Award. Doug had moved on to cross-country by this time, but I love that the two friends were able to share the honor. I just think that's sweet. Yeah. Even more, I love that Terry was so determined to play that game that he didn't let anyone discourage him. He worked hard and remained optimistic, even when others laughed. What he might have lacked in natural ability, this guy made up for in grit and perseverance. And I I definitely want some of that. Yeah, for sure. On November 12th, 1976, Terry was distracted while looking at some bridge construction and ran his 1968 green Cortina. I don't know what that is. I don't even know what kind of car that is. I meant to look that up. Into the back of a half-ton truck. Me being a new graduate of traffic school (laughs) or having a bit of a lead foot. I'm very aware of the dangers of distracted driving. Yeah. I'm guessing he was probably doing a little bit of both. Some speeding, he probably was distracted right. with the scene. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because his car was totaled. Fortunately, he escaped without a scratch and hopped on mass transit back home. Oh, my gosh, His right awesome. knee bothered him a bit, but he thought it, you know, had likely slammed into the dash on impact, so he kind of blew it off. The pain was back in December. This time, he just assumed it was from all the years playing on the basketball court, right. which the surface, you know, has no give. And so, at that age, you'd probably think growing pains. Oh, absolutely. You know? You don't think cancer. He didn't want to see a doctor until the season was over. He was certain they would tell him to stay off of it, which he didn't want to hear. After examination, the doctor suggested a second opinion. When his parents asked the doctor to just be upfront with what he suspected, the doctor said he thought it was cancer. Mm-hmm. While his parents knew right away that it was likely cancer, poor Terry wouldn't know right away. But he knew it was bad news when they wouldn't share it in his hospital room with the bunkmates. So oh, I guess there were a couple of them right. in the room at the same time. They confirmed that Terry had osteogenic sarcoma. 
they would amputate his leg below the knee, following up with 16 months of chemotherapy, and that would give him a 50% chance or more of survival. Just two years earlier, the survival rate had been 15%. One side really made leaps in that. So this was when Terry learned the importance of cancer research. I mean, even Hodgkin's that I had, you know, kind of at this time, a couple years before, they didn't have the resources. Terry took it like a trooper. I mean, this is 1979, 1980, cancer. I mean, the treatment, I remember back in 1986, I got so much sicker than I did with this current stuff. So I'm sure he was very, very sick with his 16 months of chemo. And apparently he had a harder time losing his hair than he did losing his leg. So he had to buy a fancy wig because that bothered him. And like he'd play basketball and, and someone asked him, why why does your hair not move in the shower you know because it was and yeah he didn't want people touching his hair or anything so this kid went through a lot yeah his mom questioned if there was a god she had suffered a lot of loss her brother fred had lost both of his legs in a plane crash during a whiteout now mind you they're in canada so i think that's pretty common but not losing the legs but the whiteout a few years later her sister norma was killed when her car slid into a tanker truck on black ice it's no wonder she felt a little bit like Job. Yeah. You know? The night before his surgery, his former basketball coach visited Terry and brought him an article from the New York Times. It was about a man who had lost his leg and just completed a marathon. It was just what Terry needed to hear before his procedure. Later, he would meet a gentleman named Rick Hansen, who was working with the Canadian Wheelchair Sports Association, and he spent time recruiting players. Hansen himself was a paraplegic, but he walked using a set of crutches. He was a perfect role model for Terry. He was smart, hardworking, and he set high standards. He pushed himself 26 miles a day, and he won 19 international wheelchair marathons. During his career, he even competed in the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. In 1985, he began a two-year journey to wheel the circumference of the Earth. Whoa. He wheeled himself. I know this guy That's is incredible. Motivated. He wheeled himself 40,000 kilometers and earned 36 million dollars for spinal cord research. That is so awesome. Easy to see why he was someone Terry wanted to emulate. Hansen was able to talk Terry into joining the Cable Cars basketball team. Within two months, he was picked to participate in the National Wheelchair Games in Edmonton. During the 1979-1980 season, the team climbed from 13th to 6th in the North American Wheelchair Basketball Association. Also in 1979, Terry decided to start running to train for the Marathon of Hope. He had a crazy idea to run across Canada and fundraise for cancer research along the way. So one day in February, he ran a quarter of a mile And his training was underway. Wow. He ended up running just over 3,000 miles in preparation. It was like around 3,159. When he shared his plans with his parents, they weren't exactly excited. His mom, Betty, thought she was the only one in the family who had any common sense. And like I said, she spoke her mind. (laughs) That's how moms are, right? (laughs) She was concerned he hadn't taken, you know, everything into consideration. The challenge it would be on his body. Right. Remember, these are old prosthetics. It's not like the common blades that we have now so he hadn't taken into consideration the challenges to his body as well as the financial aspect yeah terry had considered the expense he wrote letters trying to get people to help and visited with potential partners he wouldn't allow any strings to be attached and all of the money had to go into cancer research 
He wrote a letter to Blair McKenzie, the executive director of the British Columbia and Yukon Division of the Canadian Cancer Society. McKenzie was skeptical, to say the least, that this kid could raise a million dollars. Terry, with the help of his close friend Rika, left him the following letter. The night before my amputation, my former basketball coach brought me a magazine with an article on an amputee who ran in the New York Marathon. It was then when I decided to meet this new challenge head-on and not only overcome my disability, but conquer it in such a way that I could never look back and say it disabled me. But I soon realized that would only be half of the quest, for as I went through the 16 months a physically and emotionally draining ordeal of chemotherapy, I was rudely awakened by the feeling that surrounded and coursed through the cancer clinic. There were faces with brave smiles and the ones who had given up smiling. There were feelings of hopeful denial and the feelings of despair. My quest would not be a selfish one. I could not leave knowing these faces and feelings could still exist, even though I would be free from mine. Somewhere their hurting must stop and I was determined to take myself to the limit for this cause. Wow. Pretty impressive. So impressive. So by April the next year, I will be ready to achieve something for me was only a distant dream reserved for the world of miracles to run across Canada to raise money for the fight against cancer. I'm not saying this will initiate any kind of definitive answer or cure to cancer, but I believe in miracles. Mm. I have to. Yeah. So they have eventually approved, but... They made Terry sweat for it. Ford donated a camper. A local petrol station provided their first $500 of gas. But my favorite donation was a poem sent to Terry from a fan in Nova Scotia. Someone mailed Terry, It Couldn't Be Done. That was the name of the poem. And he had it, you know, taped to the van, and he read it every night along the way, which I just think is so sweet. A song was even written for Terry called Run, Terry, Run by Vern Kennedy, and all the proceeds went to the Cancer Society. It's just so heartwarming to hear the stories of the people supporting Terry. The big day arrived on April 12, 1980. Terry put two one-gallon jugs into the Atlantic Ocean to fill them up. He wanted to empty one at the end of his journey and keep the other one as a souvenir. How cute is that? That's really cute. His longtime friend Doug drove the van, was his support crew, marking and stopping their starting points um, with rocks and paper. Like, for reals. That's if they, you know, just mark it and go back the next day. I had no idea most of the areas that Terry ran through since I've only been to Vancouver, B.C., but I do know that he was often up at 4.30 in the morning to get the miles in. Rain or shine. Because this was a fundraising expedition, he had to make a lot of stops to give talks, run with fans, and provide interviews. So he was, you know, exhausted. He'd have to run early in the morning and then do stuff in the evening. Yeah, just long, long days. His music of choice was Hank Williams or Johnny Cash. Other times, American Graffiti blasted. By May 1st, he attended All Hallows School, where the kids had donated all of their recess money to the Marathon of Hope. How adorable is oh, that? That is so cute. Oh my gosh. On May 5th, he ran into Port Abascus and they got $10,000 there. Terry was so excited as it was a small town that equaled a dollar per person. And that had oh. been his goal to have $1 donated for every person in Canada. Oh. By May 22nd, he had run 972 miles and he ran into Spring Hill, the town where Anne Murray was born. Oh, my sister loved Anne oh. Murray. <laughs> I remember from Christmas songs. Yeah. 
there were many, many times he got frustrated with the fundraising. And one thing everyone could agree on was that Terry had a temper. He was upset when a reporter commented on the blood coming from his leg and even more upset when people say, you know, he was walking. It was kind of like a click, click, run, click, click, run. But, you know, maybe that anger probably kind of spurred him on. Oh, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. But sometimes he kind of lashed out at Doug, and I think sometimes they kind of needed their space. But tough tough guys there. One reporter said he was irritable and needed a nap, which is probably exactly what he needed. Right. His mother, though, she chose her words more carefully as to not upset him. He would grumble about certain towns. Often more affluent towns were not donating as much. And he would conclude... That it was his disappointment that was making him act out, not actually anger. His brother, Daryl, finished high school early and skipped graduation so he could join the team in St. John. It was good timing as Doug, like I said, was frustrated with Terry's temper at times. It was suggested on May 31st, that's when he had hit 1,217 miles, that he get... I know. So he's gone a long ways. He get medical attention. With the press constantly following him, people were concerned for his health. He refused to take the time to get checked and carried on. When his parents were asked about it, they simply stated that Terry was an adult and could make his own decisions. You know, as a parent, that's got to be super hard. Oh, my gosh. I know. I can't imagine. I know. I I think I'd, you know, I don't know what I'd do. But Quebec was especially challenging for him since they didn't speak English. People didn't seem to understand what he was doing, and they kept stopping to offer him a lift. At one point, they went four to five days without a shower. Wow. I just can't imagine the smells in that camper. They must have had the windows down for sure. I hope so. (laughs) He got to meet Bobby Orr, one of his idols, who came with a $25,000 check from Planner's Peanuts. Wow. Which was one of his sponsors. On June 15th, Gerard Cody met with Terry. He was a Canadian and four-time Boston Marathon winner in 1940, 1941, 43, and 48. Wow. So Aura gave Terry his jersey, which he was excited about, and the 1960 Canadian marathon champion, Gore Dixon, gave Terry his gold medal, noting that Terry was running the greatest race of all. For sure. So sweet, guys. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Terry was disappointed when Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau was too busy for him. They met, but he didn't run with Terry, even though he was an active guy. Oh, Worse yet, bad. he didn't even know that Terry was doing it to raise money for cancer. Wow. So that's his temper bad. came out. Yeah. Peter Rebellion of Gravenstein Bakery had made a 70-pound birthday cake for Terry. It was shaped as Canada, and his route was drawn on the <laughs> cake. That's cool. But when someone noted that he was halfway there... He shot back, you know, can't you read? Oh. Which, and then he just stormed off, and it kind of ruined the whole party atmosphere. By August 12th, they had raised $1.4 million. Keep in mind, this oh, is 1980. That's a lot that's of a money. That's a lot of money. For sure. They also got a new 20-foot camper from General Motors and the Jim Pattison's group in Vancouver. The extra room was very needed as the whole crew were on edge. He was nervous after everyone had made Lake Superior seem like such a challenge, but he tackled it without a problem. It was after Montreal he developed a bit of a cough and a sore ankle. He was thinking it was just a cold and tried to shake it off, but on September 1st, Terry couldn't continue. He stopped just outside of Thunder Bay, Ontario. He'd run for 143 days. Oh, my gosh. He had covered 3,339 miles in heat, rain, humidity, night runs. It's crazy, especially on that, you know, clunky prosthetic. Yeah, I think. He was nearly hit numerous times. 
But he knew something was wrong and way worse than a fracture he had earlier worried about in the Marathon of Hope. He was still very proud of himself, and he said, I felt like I had won. I felt like I had made it, even though I hadn't. On September 9th, there was a nationwide telethon on the CTV network, and they raised more than $10 million for cancer research. that's awesome. I know, and it shows a picture in there of him in his hospital room and just the look on his face, just the beaming smile that he had when when they told him that. It's any wonder he would feel like he had won. They had maxed out adriamycin. That's the Red Devil, which okay. I did both with Hodgkin's, and I'm very well aware because I only could have a certain amount for breast cancer, but they had already maxed him out with his 16 months of chemo, so there weren't a lot of options for him with treatment. Important people rallied to get him treatment that were they were just testing, and they yeah. figured it was worth a try. I love that his doctor noted that patients with a more positive attitude tended to handle treatments better. Which I yeah, that's totally think is true. And I remember my oncologist when I had a childhood cancer telling me that part of my treatment would be the meds, but the other part would be my faith and attitude. And that comment obviously has stayed with me yeah, ever since. For sure. Gosh. Terry Fox didn't need a doctor telling him that. He just knew it. Unfortunately, the treatments only succeeded in making him sick. They didn't take care of the tumors in his lungs. Sadly, he lost his fight one month before his 23rd birthday oh. in New Westminster, B.C. It's all an attitude, whatever your situation in life. I can be bitter, but I can't be that way. Because even if I only have two months to live, I want to live those two months the best I can. He knew he had made a difference. And a woman he met in St. John said it best that when he was unable to conquer the disease, that wasn't what it was all about. As Terry had noted, it was in his living. And Dorothy Wyatt would say it wasn't in his dying that he achieved his purpose. It was in his living. I love that. The most beautiful part of this is that the story isn't just about Terry. It's about the community that Terry brought together. I love that his mother would end up quitting her job at the card shop. She'd travel the world to give talks and continue on his mission, making sure that his vision wasn't clouded or abused. I love that his shy dad would break out of his shell to spread awareness. Raleigh and Betty were even invited to meet Queen and Prince Philip aboard the Royal Yacht Britannica when they were in Vancouver. His family kept his foundation the way Terry envisioned. Their runs would include everyone. They could ride, walk, run, paddle, whatever, because Terry would want them to be included. There were runs honoring Terry from Australia to Zimbabwe, and he's been given way too many accolades for me to even start. But what mostly inspires me about the story was the countless times everyday people chipped in. Minus the one guy who pulled alongside of them and reached into their hat and grabbed out a $5 bill and drove off. Seriously? For reals! Oh my gosh. Across the world, he brought people together, and I just wanted to finish with a short list to include a few of those changed by the Marathon of Hope. These are, you know, just stories from his book. You can get into more at the Terry Fox Foundation's website and find a lot more. But some of them include kids in the fifth grade class at Odessa Public School raised $15 by saving their pennies and nickels left over from their milk money. Sweet. Their teacher, Brian Norris, promised to match whatever the kids raised. Oh, my gosh. How adorable is that? Two buddies, Jim Brown and Garth Walker, organized a 300-mile overnight bike ride. They earned more than $50,000 and cycled through thunderstorms to present the money and pledges to Terry in person. 
A cab driver woke his kids up at 4.30 to go see Terry when he was on the course. He gave him $25 and said that it was from him and the kids. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. I know. It's sweet. There was a burly biker dressed head to toe in leather. He approached the van early one morning. They were a little bit nervous, but he put $20 in without saying a word and rode off on his motorcycle. One guy had his girlfriend take over the wheel of his red Corvette so he could run eight miles with Terry and collect money along the way. One lady said Terry had encouraged her to stop feeling sorry for herself. She would donate a dollar for every pound she lost, and her husband would match the donation. (laughs) A hundred runners joined him in London for a $50 fee, calling them the $5,000 club. But they ended up raising $11,000. A guy named Freddie Sless raised $912 for sitting in a vat of banana lemon custard pudding (laughs) stuff. Brad Barber... Bought a pair of knee pads in anticipation of breaking the world record for crawling. The record was 14 miles, and he only got through 11 and a half, but he still earned $5,000. I know. Colford Connors Presentation Junior High class has been making donations throughout the years. Their school has about 425 kids that are simply rewarded by a good feeling after helping. They don't get stickers, pencils, you know, nothing, just a warm feeling in their hearts. Throughout the years, they've raised $25,000. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. This is the last one. A woman named Eleanor Brown volunteered for the Terry Fox Run, as well as the Warworth Institute Medium Security. Um, The men there at this prison earned between $1 and $6.90 a day working as groundskeepers, data entry clerks, storemen, cleaners, cooks, library assistants. In 1999, they gave a... $1,600 check to the Terry Fox Foundation. Legacy, a prisoner who knew Brown as mom, and her request meant a lot to these men. He would say, even I can do a little to help others. Terry hung out with a guy named Greg Scott and was a role model of sorts for the young man who had the same type of cancer. Greg Scott had been an all-star baseball player the year before. He followed Terry for a stretch on his bike. He ran with a 17-year-old Tony Cotino, a leukemia survivor, and 12 and a half years out. He was in an award, an Emmy Award-winning documentary, Fighting Back. I could go on and on about this man who made such a difference in, in his 22 years on this earth. I admire this guy for his tenacity. From the time he wanted to play basketball and others laughed at him, to people saying his marathon of hope wouldn't amount to much in donations, he stayed focused. I admire that he kept pulling journalists back to the heart of it. He didn't want it all to be about Terry Fox. He would tell them, I'm not doing the run to become rich or famous. To me, being famous is not the idea of the run. The only important part is that cancer can be beaten. He forced people to look at cancer where they hadn't before. And I so admire that he changed the vocabulary from victim to survivor. He refused to give in. And he dealt with cancer on his own terms. He taught us a lesson in courage, compassion, and probably my favorite, unity. He also encouraged people to take better care of the planet, too. And you know I'm all over that. (laughs) He was one out there doing the mileage, but he was also doing it shedding light on cancer with and prosthetics at the same time. People saw him running a marathon a day on that prosthetic leg and it gave them hope yeah i think the name was brilliant marathon of hope even when he couldn't finish the course he remained hopeful that cancer could be conquered 
There are still Terry Fox runs out there, and they've remained true to his vision. If people want to walk, run, bike, or paddle, they're all invited. Anyone can participate. Terry was inclusive, and that heart still remains. The Terry Fox Foundation has donated $850 million to cancer research in Terry's name. Just goes to show how much people can accomplish if they come together. I've run the great race. I've finished the course. I've kept faith, and now the prize awaits me. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Muddy Mildred Wilson, isn't that cute, is trying to raise money for clean drinking water for a village in Africa. So you'll love this. They currently only have one watering hole with water that most people would consider consumable. Their only option is to travel over literally a mountain range to find the nearest one. So far, she's raised $2,000. Actually, I think it was updated to $3,000 of her $45,000 goal. People noticed Mildred and her cause after she made headlines being the oldest person to compete in a Tough Mudder event. This is, I know. Very cool. This is Wilson's third with the 5K, but Tough Mudder includes an obstacle course and a whole lot of mud. Her late husband was able to see her cross the finish line about in 2019 with her second 5K, and she's keeping the family involved with this one as well. In 2019, she watched her son compete in the world's toughest mudder in Las Vegas. When he finished, she asked his mom if she'd like to join him for one. So, in at the Missouri Tough Mudder, her 48-year-old son was running by her side the whole time. Oh, How that is cute so is sweet. that? This this last one was dedicated to her late husband and when asked if she'd participate in it again, she said if God would keep her healthy. <laughs> so, so far she's raised the $3,000 to help her son build a well in an African village and I just love that she gets muddy so others can have clean water. Oh, I think I it's adorable. It. Yeah. This other one reminded me a lot of Terry Fox. Jackie Hunt Browersma lost her leg in 2001 from Ewing sarcoma, a type of cancer. It took her a bit to get used to it, and she said that often leg amputees get put into a box with things they can and can't do. In 2016, she took up running, starting with a 5K, and they just she continued to increase in the mileage. She decided to see if she could break the Guinness Book of World Records with running a marathon for the most consecutive days. Her kids, Dexter, 11, and Eliza, 7, as well as her husband and their 49,000 social media followers Whoa. are her biggest um, sources of encouragement to help her get through the mileage. The Boston Marathon fell on her 92nd day of marathons. Some marathons are huge, like Boston, and some are just Hunt's Proverza running 26.2 miles on her own. So far, she's raised $193,300 for an organization called Amputee Blade Runners, a group that provides running blades for others like Hunt Brosma. Well, she wanted to see if she could break the world record, and she proved it was possible. She hopes to encourage other amputees to get active. She picked up running in 2016 and wishes she had started earlier. Now she's sharing that with others in hopes that they'll get out of the boxes that society puts them in. She plans to run the Moab Ultra in October. That's a 240-mile race. So this lady is just amazing. I guess the one of the most important things I've learned is that nothing is ever completely bad, even cancer. It's made me a better person. It's given me courage and a sense of purpose I never had before. 
but you don't have to do like I did. Wait until you lose a leg or get some awful disease before you take the time to figure out what kind of stuff you're really made of. You can start now. Anybody can. Terry Fox. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.